0: So, welcome, Faith in the Fast Life, on to the next episode. We're so excited to have all you listeners here with us again. Today we have a, uh, an incredible story, which I'm going to call, based upon a t-shirt that I session and I wear one day, Saved Not Soft. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this episode, because um, my man, Shin and I, Woodall, is here with us today, and he has an incredible story. I haven't even fully heard all of it, so... This is like first time for me as well, listeners. So, you know, without further ado, Shin and I would all man, we are so honored to have you here with us.
1: Well, thank you guys. I'm, I'm, you know, super blessed to get the opportunity to share the story. Uh, It's not really my story; it's God's story. But um, you know, I'm just excited to to bring renown to His name and uh, just be, you know, one who's talking constantly about the great things that he has done and that he can not only do for us, but do for others. Right.
0: Yeah, dude. Praise God. That's uh yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's given you the story. He uh, brought you through the trials, the tribulations also that you could give glory to his name. So man, without, you know, and just tell us, man, what's up, What what's going on. Tell us your story.
1: Okay. Um, so I guess it kind of starts with the fact that, uh, my father is a, missionary and a minister and um we left the united states for costa rica when i was 6 years old and we lived on the mission field and like you know saving refugees um until i was like until i was 11 like right before puberty
0: okay
1: and so uh after that we moved right outside dc my dad got a job in washington dc where he was the um or the CEO of a large Christian organization in in D.C., but that area of the world is much different than Costa Rica. You know, Um, it's like 7.4 million people are, like, all crowded in one little spot. And so when we came back, we kind of had culture shock. You know, people were picking on us and harassing us. Like, I can remember my parents used to, like, comb my hair before I would go to school with, like, a part right here. And like we had clothes that my mom had sewn yeah, and like big glasses that you got on the mission field. Right. And we didn't even know that we were like the nerdy Christian kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, we started going to, to public school and running in the neighborhood, uh, in this, in this, in the. I mean, it's basically the suburbs, but it was like, you know, yeah, kind of, it wasn't like the hood for sure, but, um, it was a pretty tough area. And, uh, we just started getting picked on and uh beaten up and things like that um and i can just remember immediately thinking that this christian stuff is bull.
0: like right so at this point like you i mean you're you're a believer a young a young man like you're are you i mean so this is always like we get into this with this right like one of our questions always seems to be well did you grow up in church because I, I didn't Right. I I didn't really have that background. I went to a Christian preschool and that was kind of where it ended. Right. But like, obviously your father's in ministry. He's a missionary. Now he's got a job, something big, but where's, where's yeah, so Jesus for you at this? I morning? really
1: hadn't. Like if, it, if you had asked me at 11, if I was a Christian, I probably would have said yes
0: by association. Right? Yeah.
1: But I, to me, I kind of thought of it like the Bible was a rule book. I never really got the personal relationship with Jesus Christ thing at all. Um, When I tell this story and my brother's around, he's like, you weren't a Christian? Like, he's always (laughs) shocked. But I was like, no, like, I I can remember faking it, like, as far back as I could remember. I really, I hated church. I hated Christian stuff. Like, I always thought that it was kind of like holding me back, you know? Um, and
0: I just didn't get it. I didn't, your your family did it and you did it because they did it. Yeah. But you wanted to be away from it.
1: And I had to like memorize scriptures and I like had to go to sometimes to Christian schools and wear like uniforms and, um, yeah, I had to go to like, I did like Royal Rangers and I would get in trouble and then they'd kick me out and then my parents, I get in big trouble. So church was like for me, a place with a bunch of rules where I was going to get in trouble. And I did get in trouble a lot there, and um,
0: so now, so now, you're in Washington D.C. You're getting your butt kicked all the time, and now, it's your opportunity. Like because you're like, see, I knew it all along. Yeah, this yeah. isn't real. I'm like, Go this ahead. is
1: some bull, right? And then I started running with it, and it wasn't like I had some other ideology. I just, I just was like, this is stupid, and um, and I really like my parents didn't let me listen to what other kids listened to and they didn't let me watch what other kids watched and stuff. So I was always sneaking around because, um, you know, I wanted to listen to what other people were listening to and watch what other people were watching. And and so then I kind of went once I, um, once I started to go South, I pretty much went all the way South. And so I would be, you know, I got really deep into like, uh, the club scene like hip-hop and stuff like that but before I get to that so um i i got kicked out of the house. like well, i, I kind of left or got kicked out depending on whose side of the story you hear but um but I left home when i was 15. Mm-hmm. um i started i had started getting in trouble when I was about uh, 11 12 13 with the law you know like breaking into houses and um just like mostly um young people dumb kid stuff yeah but um I started also getting into fights because I kept getting beat up and I got tired of it and so I
0: how big were you then because you're not a small man now so I mean like this is what 11 12 13 years old like
1: yeah um I wasn't small but I was definitely soft and I was definitely uh a nerd like I had no idea about like right I didn't know about like clothes or like, cause, cause my parents had kind of kept me in a bubble, you know? Right. And so I had no idea what like the other kids were into and like, and so I'd kind of walk around and my, I can literally remember that my mom made a shirt for me and a shirt for my brother when she would sew shirts for us. Yeah. And like one of mine was yellow with purple dinosaurs on it. And like, I had no idea that. that how old
0: was, were you? Like 11. oh man yeah so like and i had no idea
1: that this was like like praise god
0: for what a wonderful woman that is to make (laughs) your clothes like like thank you mom yeah but at the same like well
1: and then also in in, you know to kind of bring it all together is when you're down on the mission field they're happy to have clothes like they don't care what you're wearing and when the kids go to school they wear uniforms yeah so everybody wears the same thing yeah but up here you know we were in the east coast and like they're like rocking cross colors and like, you know, all this crazy stuff <laughs> and uh, that we thought was cool, but, um, yeah. Janko jeans and all the whole nine yards, you know, and, but initially I had no idea that I was a nerd. Like right. I was totally, I thought we were like, you know, cause when you're down there and your dad's taking care of all these people, like you're the kids that everybody loves and like, you know, yeah you're the ones that are suffering on the mission field. So there's people in the United States are always sending you like packages and stuff like that. And so, you know, we had no idea. And then we came into puberty and, in, and the United States and man, we were just marks like they were, <laughs> they were just brutal, brutal, man. And, um, I've always been, you know, somewhat, I have a high capacity for, for, uh, intellect. So I'm not, you know, stupid. And so I would be thinking through these things. And I was always a reader too. my parents would ground me regularly. And the only thing I was allowed to do was read or just sit there. So I would always be reading and reading and reading, which has paid off now. (laughs) Um, so, uh, so I just started to get in trouble and, um, and I just thought that the stuff that my parents were talking about was, was bunk. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I didn't tell them that. You know, I just got away whenever I could. You know.
0: So, I mean, really, it's just. I mean, in a way, you're 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 living in the darkness, right? We're hiding because you're so sheltered and you were in a bubble for so long. Like you, you now think, well, those things are so terribly wrong that I can't tell anybody about it. Which is exactly where the enemy wants us to be, right? Like when I was amidst my addictions, when I was in cocaine and you know even after two different rehabs, you fall back into it, but you feel like, oh, I can't say anything about it, yeah, it's because you're ashamed, right, right. And that shame right. and that guilt and that yeah, that's the enemy, yeah. so even at a young age, you know, Christian background, not understanding the relationship, and now. You're hiding in the darkness. You don't want your parents to know this is what's going on. So tell tell me more.
1: Yeah, and you know another thing that I uh, is that my dad was running a large organization in D.C., and so so he was super busy, right. and I got a lot of discipline from him. But he and I didn't really have a relationship like talking about. And I remember one time I I uh, was watching this uh, video, like a Christian series or whatever. And they were talking about men. Uh, in fact, I think you were in that class with me. And, uh, yeah. the guy was talking about how, um, discipline without relationship yeah. always breeds rebellion.
0: Yep. hundred percent.
1: And I it just resonated with me. In fact, it changed the way that I view my kids now. Yeah. Um, but you know, my dad was a strict disciplinarian. He was a Marine, you know, he was in Vietnam and, and all that stuff. And, uh, And so I was just so rebellious. Yeah. And And
0: you didn't realize it. You didn't learn this until like, what was that, two years ago that we were in that class, right? So, I mean, for the listeners, like to understand that, and maybe this can apply. Maybe this is one of those things that can apply to your life right now. Um, If you're a parent, if you're a child, you know, understanding this can be enough light to make a change on it. Um, And we'll say it again that, you know, discipline without relationship will lead to rebellion. So what Shenaniah felt was discipline from his father, but he didn't feel like he had a relationship with his father. In many ways, I can say the same thing, but a little bit different with the story that God gave me and my father, right? Busy man, businessman, super successful, um, did great things for me, but maybe not the version of relationship that I was looking for. Um, and in some ways, not really discipline either, but you just got all the discipline, which just chased you away. So keep that in mind listeners. Well, and
1: you know, it's a cultural thing back then too. Like the man went to work and he came home. Yeah. You know, and it it was different. Um, but we tend to parent the same way that we were parented. And so I find the natural propensity in me to, you know, just be like, get over there and do what I tell you. You know what I mean? And so I've really had to challenge myself with that because um, it's so important. Like you'll see the people that had like good dads who I'm not saying my dad was a bad dad. I just mean that they have parents who they know,
0: you know, that that, that are building relationship with them. They're not so focused on the work and the grind every single day. It's you know, something that class, different things, you know? Um, so it's something that comes up to my mind is we call them generational curses, right? Sure. In reality, there's no such thing as a generational curse. There's only unforgiveness, so we're going to repeat the sins of our father if we can't forgive our father for what he did. Sure. So, we us here, you listeners, we have the opportunity to break that mold. Maybe that's what you learned in the behavior you had, but you can now break that and change the way you do it with your son or your daughter.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's it's something that I have conscientiously attacked the way that I think about those things and do it differently. And you know, my dad's dad just beat the snot out of him and his right. mom and everybody else. So like he had no context for that right. either. And so he actually, to some degree broke the mold as well because he's never, you know, socked me or beat me or anything like that. And so, you know, I, I think that that's also a, th- a generational thing where it's like you can improve each generation, yeah. you know, to the point where my son can be,
0: um, an even better dad than me. Right. Yep. That, uh, Dr. Molina, in that men's conference that we both spoke at, he said something, and I can't remember the exact wording, but it was to the effect of, um, we can't give what we never received. received. Yeah, And it made me instantly, so once again, listeners, maybe it's the way your dad was, or your mom, or whatever that might be, um, but your dad was beat by his dad. Yeah, He never learned to give you relationship, or love, or any of those kind of things, right? Right. So how could you, you Know it's just it just repeats itself, you yes. can't give what you never received,
1: yeah. And so, I've just had to. I mean, I, I can't, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't still a struggle because it is, but it's like, um, as I've allowed the first of all, the word of God to speak, you know, you know, it's like if God used the word father to describe himself and then designed a family. So that we would understand when he's revealing himself to us and saying, hey, I am the father, right? Then we'd understand what that meant. Well, for some of us, even though that can be convoluted, we still intrinsically know yeah. what a good father looks like, right? Yep. And the Bible says that, uh, that, that he disciplines us like a father disciplines the son he delights in. And so I always remember that in my relationship with the Lord that when he's because sometimes, you know, the Lord's like, Hey, stop that, you know, or else. And yeah. I just remember that I delight in my son. Like when he's acting retarded, <laughs> which he does frequently, you know, I, yeah. I laugh at that. I delight. And sometimes I'm stern with him in those moments and inside I'm actually laughing. Right. <laughs> Cause I'm like, this dude's stupid. Right. And, <laughs> and, but but I find great delight in his growth and his, and and all those things. And so I just remember that's the way the the Lord is looking at me, that he's disciplining me as a father who delights in his son. And, um, so that's, you know, just really been the way that I've challenged myself with that. And whenever I see those tendencies, I've given my wife permission to be like, Hey, you're scaring him, not helping him, you know? Yeah. And, um, I've just committed that I'm going to speak life, you know, that I'm going to, um, You know, beat that. I'm going to do my best to know him and have him know me, right? And just love on him.
0: Relationship, relationship, relationship with our kids and with Jesus. So, continue on. So here we are. Let's let's recap. Sorry, listeners. You know how (laughs) I like to spit off in different directions, but we'll pull it back together here. So you're 12, 13, 14 years old. You're starting to get in trouble. You're breaking into houses. You're doing those things. You're wearing a yellow shirt with purple dinosaurs on it <laughs> and just thugging. Yeah. So tell us more. Gangster.
1: Um, so obviously I began to mold into the culture. And then I was like super duplicitous with my family um, and I was always smart, so I could kind of cruise through school to some degree. I didn't get good grades, but I didn't really fail. Um, So what happened is uh, I started to go to public school because I kind of got kicked out of Christian school for stealing from the school store. And then um, I got kicked out, so my dad's like, well, I'm not paying for Christian school if you're just gonna blow it. And so he um, put me into public school and um, it was like a rough, rough school man and um so i just started to get beat up and then i started to fight back and like you know i just wasn't doing good so my parents were like we're gonna pull them out of public school and put them into homeschool so home homeschool i was getting all the work done and so i actually was ahead of the game and um going into my uh going into my junior year basically i could get out of school early mm-hmm. and start going to college and so i i I got out of school early. I took my GED, went into school at 15 and I start, I was getting ready to start college and I started to butt heads with my parents hard. It's about 15,
0: 15 years old. Mm -hmm.
1: And, um, and eventually, so so I don't know how detailed I need to get, but basically my mom and I got into a real knockdown drag out because I had a bunch of people like spend the night on act like, you know, we were all like drunk and partying and then, um, so I, she, she kicked me out, but she, you know, they say I left, but it doesn't matter. Either way, I left home at 15 and I was kind of a vagrant, like, um, like living on people's couches or, you know, I've spent nights, you know, on tennis courts and, and things like that. I was just kind of, uh, homeless and, um, and I started to get involved in drugs more heavily and I started to get in, in dr- into, I, I started to know drug dealers that were, you know, more than just the guy, you know, on the block. Uh, and I started to get involved with gangs and I started to
0: get very
1: promiscuous with women.
0: Um, this is all still 15 years old. Like how long, how long were you on the streets for?
1: Well, it's kind of hard to because I I was not always on the streets. Like people had couches and you know,
0: so I I, wasn't like you were homeless living on the street. You were just kind of drifter. Yeah. Yeah, And then some nights from house. So when you're that
1: age, you know, you're at a party or whatever and like their parents aren't supposed to be home all night. So you're like, okay, well I'm going to stay here with them. And then the parents show up and then everybody gets kicked out. And then it's like two in the morning and and you're like, you have nowhere to go. go? And so you, you know, you sleep wherever until something else happens and, uh, but because I had my GED already, the truancy people couldn't get me, you know. Um, and so, and I had a lot of friends. I was, you know, people, I don't know why, but it seems like teenagers especially, they like the crazy kids to some degree. Yeah, right? Like, well, they are
0: <laughs> drawn to sin. Yeah, so. I guess. Like, yeah. And
1: so, and I was nuts, to be honest, and I got more and more nuts. Um, and so I just, I really thought, like, I was like Tupac or Biggie or something, you know. I was like... Toting guns and uh, you know going and getting a bunch of drugs from cities and driving them back and selling them in my neighborhood and stuff like that or not my neighborhood but in my town and um, uh, yeah I mean it was just ridiculous and it's I I uh, I can remember distinctly I was walking through the mall one time and I had a nine millimeter in my waist and then I had a shoulder holster with thirty eight in it. Under my arm. Now I'm like 16, 17 years old, right? Right. and my friends and I were, you know, we're like mobbing through the mall. Probably thought we were super tough. And um, I was wearing like those big baggy jeans that we used to wear back then. And the the nine slides down my leg. <laughs> oh no! And I like take a step forward, and the gun like slides into the middle of the mall, like in the middle of the day. And my friends are like, you know, oh my god, dude, what are we gonna do? I was like, we can do nothing. I was like going to walk right out of here, right? I was like they ain't gonna say nothing. Like that was my mentality, like I was just I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. I knew everything by this time my heart was hard, hard. Um and, you know, it led to more drugs and more um fights and uh and I just got harder and harder as it went along cuz I had to, you know, and I started running with some real rough characters um you know my friends were like going to prison for robbery and for murder and um cuz we were all like the worst of the worst um and then when i was uh 18 i got indicted um by uh, i got a direct indictment for four um conspiracy to distribute so uh, i got conspiracy to distribute cocaine conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine conspiracy to distribute, uh, MDMA. They didn't really have a charge for it back then, but it was like ecstasy and then, um, conspiracy to distribute, um, LSD. And so now I'm starting to go to jail. Um,
0: and this all happens at 18, right? So right. Really at 18,
1: prosecuted. maybe 19, or maybe okay. I turned 19 in jail. And so, you know, the long and short of the story, like we can kind of get through a lot of this is I just kept, I'd go to jail for a while, get out.
0: People would try to help me. I was worse, but never the family never tried to help you.
1: No, my, my parents would try to, help. I mean, I didn't really see them much from like 15 to 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the cops would bring me to home because they didn't believe that I didn't live there and they would take me to my parents' house and then I'd the cop they'd go okay thanks and then I'd leave again um one time they tried to I had been on the streets probably just about 3 months and my parents uh s- sent a message through my brother that I had to come talk to them and so I went to go talk to them I thought I can remember feeling like they were going to be like hey you know we love you we want you to come home yeah um but that's not how they were they were like Um, I think my dad decided like he was going to take a hard tack with me or something like that, but it was not a good idea. i would already been on the streets like three months and he was like, um, we have just talked to an attorney and it is illegal for us to allow you to be on the streets. Um, and so he's like, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to get your stuff. You're going to move back in. You're going to let us know where you are at all times. You're going to, and I was like, what if I say no? Right. And he's like, you can't say no. And I'm like, or what? And he's like, "You can't say no." I was like, "I'll just leave right now." He's like, "I won't let you leave." And then we ended up getting into a scuffle right there in the, you know, and and I got away. And uh, and I just ran ran away. So I didn't see them. My mom every now and then would text me or I guess we didn't have text, but she like page me or leave a message on my voicemail. And uh and she'd be like, you know, "Honey, um I was watching the news and I saw that some teenagers were killed in a car accident and they won't release their names. She's like, could you just call me and let me know that you're okay? (laughs) I'd be like, man. So I call my mom. I'd be like, yeah, I'm alive. Like, you don't have to worry. Like I can literally remember one time I found a card in my wallet, my poor mother. And, uh, I was like going through, you know how you used to like write down numbers on a card and you put it in your wallet. And so I'm looking for a number in my wallet and I'm like, where did I put that number? And I pull this card out of the inside of my wallet that my mom had evidently somehow snuck into my wallet. And it said, if you find my body, please call my mom. at." Ball. <laughs> I was like, man, what? the?" So my mom was like, you know, and rightfully so, like my life was yeah. insane.
0: man. Yep. So you're, so you're, I mean, you're basically running with gangs, you're selling drugs, you're, you're, you're thugging. Yeah. hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and so then I'd get indicted and um, well,
0: I did typically for drug sales, right?
1: Yeah, it was for uh, now. I Also, at the same time, I caught a couple of possession of cocaine[s] in other counties. And when I got the indictments, they hit me with those two. So now I'm facing like six felonies. And
0: uh, so what was it that, that led to that? Like the the getting caught? Like, was it like selling to undercovers? Was it just getting hemmed up and having it in your pot, in your possession?
1: So if I'm 100% honest, I was more like the muscle than I was the, like, I wasn't that good at selling drugs because I like to do drugs, but the guys that did, that were better at selling drugs would like to have me around because, you know, I was really stupid and I would do, you know, crazy stuff that a lot of people wouldn't do. Um, so I, but basically they indicted like 20 of us and, um, some of them had sold undercovers and then they'd pull those guys in and they would interview them and, um, they would tell, you know, they'd tell on other people and then, but they could never get me in a controlled buy because they tried two or three times. Um, but they couldn't get me because I was just was, I was, you know, wise, to the police at the time and to some degree. And so I wouldn't, you know, sell to people that I didn't know. And if anything was shady, I would split or, and I would send girls to do it for me. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I didn't have to actually make direct contact. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, if I didn't trust you or know you at all, like I would always send somebody else to make the deal and stuff like that. But, um, so they couldn't actually get me up. Most of the people were getting hit with actual distribution charges, but me, they just hit me with conspiracy because they had a bunch of people that were going to testify against me that I also sold drugs. Um, which is why I got, I kind of got a sweet deal on that. I, I pled guilty to two of them and they ended up giving me 10 years with like a boot camp type program for youthful offenders. Um, and so I went through that, uh, it was 14 months that I was incarcerated that time. Um, I got out, and I tried to go straight, tried to get a job, all those things, and man, my heart was just super hard and um you know I wasn't really interested in the Jesus thing or anything like that. Um and I even tried to move away, but then I just ended up in that town acting up and uh but the the biggest where where my life really, really, really started to take a bad turn was This Um,
0: isn't even the bad stuff yet, huh? No. Man. So God is so good. Yes. Like
1: I look at these pictures. You know, you asked me to bring some pictures, and I was looking at them. I was like, man, I don't it feels like I'm looking at somebody else's memory. Even when I'm telling these stories, to me, it feels like I'm telling somebody else's story. It doesn't even seem real to me now. But anyway, my dad ended up stopping what he was doing and he started his own business. And he started it in a little town in West Virginia that's surrounded by Virginia, like the metropolitan areas of Virginia, Maryland, and DC mm-hmm. um, and Pennsylvania to, to some degree. It's, it's a kind of like in the panhandle area and it's a horrible little town full of like strip clubs and corruption and stuff What's like that. What's it called? Um, Martinsburg, Martinsburg, West Virginia. Right. And we moved there and my dad started this business or whatever. And I was, it was during a season that I was trying to get my life together. And my brother and I started going to strip clubs. And I met some strippers and started to like hang out with them. And uh, how
0: old are you at this point?
1: I'm guessing 21.
0: Okay.
1: Maybe 22.
0: And your brother's younger than you, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: But he, so I had gone to pick up some. I was, so I knew a bunch of people that back then weed was illegal. And so I I knew a bunch of people that had weed back Virginia, Northern Virginia, where I grew up. So I was going to pick some up one weekend and bring it back to the people that I had met in West Virginia because they were looking for it and they couldn't get it. And my brother had gone to a strip club that weekend. And then I came back and he was like, dude, you got to go with me to the strip club. And I was like, all right. And I wasn't really like, those kinds of things didn't really impress me or anything. I was just, you know, whatever. And so we went and I ended up meeting some strippers and one of them in particular was named Brandy and uh, we hit it off and she was a heroin addict. And she introduced me to injecting heroin. Up to that point, I had never injected anything and I started shooting heroin with her and we, I mean, it, it got crazy. Like we were like, like stealing drug dealers cars and driving them up to Baltimore to chop them for the money. And then like we were, um, you know, started sticking people up and, um, smuggling heroin back from Baltimore. And it was just, I don't really talk about this stuff that much, but it was like pretty horrible. And, um, I died a couple of times, um, from overdosing and stuff like that. And, then she, I remember distinctly. I was in a uh, like a shot house, like a shooting gallery or whatever, and I saw this guy who kept shooting up over and over and over and over. And I was like, "How come we can only shoot up?" Like I was didn't really know. I was like, "How come we can only do this like once every few hours, but he can do it all the time?" And she's like, "Oh, he's shooting coke." Yeah. And I was like, "You can shoot coke?" And she's like, "Yeah." And I cocaine had been my um, drug of choice when I before I shot and so and then once I started shooting coke like I couldn't it's an impossible thing to maintain so anyway I ended up robbing somebody and I got charged with aggravated robbery um and I got sentenced to five years uh
0: like how old are you at this point point? 23 pretty sure so there's a couple year run of you and brandy and the, the heroin leading to the coke and the robberies and Yeah, cars and stuff. Okay.
1: Yeah, that was a really ugly, dark time. I mean, we were involved with some really bad things. Like we'd go up to New York City and do and like pick up stuff cheaper, and like go to cities. And uh, we were running with some really rough, Uh,
0: shady, shady situations.
1: And I was always able to kind of like maintain my composure to some degree in front of other people. And so, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because I was like bombed out of my mind 90 percent of the time but um so i could always interact because i had been a gang member and a drug dealer and all those things i could interact well with the people that were the ballers you know right and you
0: you knew the talk like you felt comfortable in that environment therefore you're probably well trusted
1: yeah and so and i wouldn't tell them that i you know because like you know the bigger dealers they don't mess with you if you like do any crazy drugs like that. Like, You know what I mean? And so I oh, would, yeah. always, so I would always hide that. And, you know, I became, I would, it was easy for me to find the people that had the best and the most quantities of, of drugs, uh, which is a really awesome skill. Like I put that on my resume now. I'm <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. That one's helped you. Yeah. It's helped me a lot. We, yeah. we call it resourcing. Now <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a great resourcer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's ridiculous, but that's just the way it was. And, um, And so, um, I ended up going to prison, uh, by this time, my family was essentially done with me, my, uh, you know, it was just, it was just bad. Um, and, uh, life was getting real, real quick. And so I started to go to prison and then I was affiliated with gangs in prison and, you know, we would be protecting ourselves from other people and like stealing people's commissary and it was just like it was just, just super dark season I can remember um just being so angry and just
0: miser- you know
1: um and just I hated
0: everybody and you know this was while in prison
1: yeah I mean it's a yeah. it's a dark dark place and it was full of cutthroat people and you kind of just had to maneuver that. And, um, and I was white and in that uh, environment, it's about 89% black, um, on the East coast in prison. Yeah. And so I had to like be a little bit more crazy than the average guy because otherwise they'd be like, Oh, white boy. Right. You know, we're going to take all your stuff. And so I, you know, uh, Yeah, and so I just, and then I was started getting high in prison, and that's never a good thing either. And so my life just was a a downward cycle. I spent, during that time, I spent, uh, you know, I'd spend like five and a half months in the hole, you know, just by myself and um, reading. And
0: um, then I'd get out and go for a while. And then, did you find that like any of that stuff, like you, I mean, you hear about that, right? The hole and like every movie makes that out to be such a terribly bad place. Like, is it like that? Or was that a chance that like your heart I guess was, was God able to work in any of that? Like, was it was there anything there, or you just went away for five and a half months, pissed off at the world, angry, read some books, came out and went right back to the old ways?
1: Um, so I've been in the hole in a lot of different places. Um, but during that time I can tell you. I have no, I can't think of a single thing that led me to believe that God was involved in the situation. Now, I know in retrospect that he was protecting me, you know, like I didn't overdose. I didn't yeah. get killed or stabbed by people in prison. And, um, and, you know, he just kept me out of some pretty like situations where you won't get to come back out you know what i mean yeah. and um and so i can see look back and see him protecting me but as i went through that first stint of incarceration um i have no recollection of ever thinking about god at all like it right. was like I, I don't even think they had church there but maybe they did but um right if they did it was like just a place where people would go to meet because there was controlled movement they had like dogs on the yard that would it was a bad like back then i would go to prison and then i would get worse and worse and worse so my custody level would go up and so i'd get so the prisons got
0: worse and worse and worse yeah
1: because they would keep you more secure you weren't staying at the four seasons
0: no (laughs) (laughs) no
1: i can remember my mom one time came to visit me and uh she walks in and she's just crying and my dad's like why are you crying and she's like this is a real prison she said <laughs> and i was like my poor mother yeah um so i did 5 years and 3 days i got released uh, my, by that time my dad had moved my dad and my mom had moved their business here to pueblo colorado um so i just went out and was staying with a girl that i knew and here no
0: out in oh. North virginia northern okay, virginia okay when you got out you, okay yeah so yeah. they were here you were in northern yeah. virginia
1: yeah, okay. and um, and when I first got out, my parents were like, "Hey, come visit us before you get a job." And so, and because I, they didn't ever gave me parole. I did my whole time, and I got released, scot free, to, for the first time in as long as I could remember. And so I could travel, and so I came so out. So
0: that was about twenty eight years old.
1: Yeah, I. Would, this was in two thousand and I got released. On January 6th of 2007. Okay. And I came out here for two weeks to visit my parents. That was the first time I had known about Pueblo or anything. Um, and then I went back because I was going to start working and everything like that. And it didn't take long before. I remember one of my friends, um, he was a senator's son and I was a missionary's son. So, like, I don't know why that somehow We always felt he's dead now, but, um, but he shows up one day and he's like, Hey bro. And he's got some heroin. And so we did some heroin and I was like, man, I'm going back to prison. Like I knew like as soon as it happened, I was like, I'm going to end up back in prison. Um, so I called my mom in Colorado. This is probably four months after I got out and I'm like, mom, I just want to let you know I'm probably going to back to prison, you know? Um, There weren't a lot of people that were like super concerned about me at that time. So I called mom (laughs) and you know, in like a moment of clarity or whatever. And my mom was like, just come out here. You can work for your dad. You can live with us. You can get your life back on track. And I could see that my life, like I didn't want to go back to prison, you know, but I just, my whole nature was corrupted. And so I flew out here and I started to work for my dad and live with my parents but I can distinctly remember I'm sitting in the break room at my little white collar job, you know, and I'm like looking around and all these people are talking about their lives, like, you know, our kids and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I have nothing in common with any of these people. Now I'm sure that was the end of me at work. And so then I started to try to find the people that I did have things in common with. And Pueblo doesn't have uh, a shortage of like, gangsters and, and drug dealers. And so it didn't take me long before I was running the streets out here in Pueblo. And, um, and on, t- on uh, January 22nd of 2008, um, I, I think it was, January, yeah, I caught a robbery charge here in Pueblo and um, just strung out on heroin and coke and everything like that. And I'm in the County jail here at Pueblo now through some so that so I caught that charge I got bonded out and then 2 months later I can't got put back into the county jail. Well when I got put back in the county jail through a strange twist of fate, right? No but like God's providence, they miscalculated me. And they put a green band, well, so I guess a green band is misdemeanor charges and a red band means you have felony charges, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm facing 64 to 128 years because they hit me with the habitual offender. And they put me in the dorms because they put me in as a um, bail revoked or something like that. And it took them a few months to figure out that I was not supposed to be in there. So I'm in there, and I'm facing more time than any than the whole entire pod that
0: I'm in combined. Because you, you should have gone somewhere else. Yeah, they should have. They put me on the made floor. a mistake and put you.
1: Yeah, they miscalculated my. They so they whenever you go in, they do like a security evaluation on you, and then they place you based on your security level. And um, and they accidentally put me in as a misdemeanor time, which I believe that was providential because God, had he put me in the floors where, you know, I would have been much, it would have been much more difficult to, um, to, to have time to like, kind of reflect on the Lord. Cause I just would have been hard, you know, yet harder through those experiences. Yeah. So I'm there about four months in this dorm and like people are coming and going because they're all like short timing and everything. And and I just am churning, man. And I'm not really uncomfortable because I'm familiar with how to do time, but I'm just like churning inside and I'm like faced now I'm like 28 and I'm faced with the reality that this is my life. I'm lit, I'm facing like they they hit me with two counts of the habitual offender and that multiplied my sentence. So I'm facing 64 to 128 years. And so I'm actually facing the reality that I'm never going to get out of prison. Um, and I'm just like, you know, I'm having to face the fact that, Hey, I don't know everything. Right. And, uh, my family done with me, all the girls that I knew were done with me. Like nobody, I was alone essentially. Um, my mom would still answer my calls sometimes, but like, even she like at this point in my life, they're like, you're 28. You're not a kid anymore. You're, You know, you're never going to get reformed. You're just, um, and I had a Bible. So, uh, back on the East coast, if you're in a gang in prison or anything, they will come into your room and they'll take all your, all your addresses and phone numbers and stuff like that. And the gang police will use them to like do, um, research on you. Well, so what we would always do is we'd get a Bible and we would write our names and addresses and stuff in the Bible because they couldn't take the Bible because it was your religious book. And so I kept up that, even though you don't really have to do that here, I kept up the practice when I got to the Pueblo County Jail. And so I had a Bible, and I'm like, you know, churning and everything. And one morning I'm awake early in the morning, and I'm sitting out in the day hall, and I'm holding this Bible, and I'm like, God, you know that I don't believe in you. You know that I think this book is a crock. I'm like, but if you're really there and your son really died on the cross for my sins, then please show me because I need your help. And I just begin to pray and read the Bible daily in the mornings. And so three weeks later, I can remember I called my mom and I was like, hey, uh, can you send me a different kind of Bible? I was like, is this Bible was really hard to read? It was like a King James version or something. Yep. And I remember from my youth that there was different ones. And so I was like, "Could you send me a different kind of Bible? And she says that when she heard that, she was like, the Lord's doing something like, if you knew me before, like I would never right. call but you. Would, you wouldn't ask for that. If yeah. you asked for anything, it like, wasn't going to be that. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even do that if I was trying to manipulate you. Like I would yeah. not, you know, I was that like against it. And, um, I just began to pray and read the Bible. And three weeks later, like the, the Lord just, during that three-week period, he just revealed himself to me. Not not like he appeared, but like he just, I knew he existed, that he cared about me, that he loved me. And after three weeks, I just tapped, you know, and I'm like, Lord, I, I tap. You know, I'm yours. Do with me as you will, right? Yeah. And um, almost immediately I went to the hole. <laughs> Because there was an officer there, and I couldn't get along with him, and I was always very rebellious. And so, during this time in the hole, what you were talking about earlier actually happened. Like it just felt like it was me and God in a room, and He was just working on me, working on me, working on me. Right? You don't have
0: any other choice. Like here it is. Here I am,
1: and I'm devouring the Word because it's the only thing I got to do. And I'm just reading and reading and praying and praying and praying, reading reading, reading, reading. God just began to really, and then they put me on the floors where they were like, oh, this guy's been misclassified. And they put me up on the fourth floor where all the knuckleheads were. And I just learned, you know, how to walk with God. Uh, I can remember one time in particular, I was reading in Romans and I'm in Romans chapter 13 and it says, everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. And then it goes on to say, do you want to be free from fear? From the one in authority then do what is right and you'll receive praise from the same right and i remember i was sitting in my cell and i'm like I we have like this little like desk thing in there and i'm reading that in the bible and i was like ugh, like i th- i was like what like i couldn't believe it said that like my whole life like cops judges you know po COs, like you name it like i didn't even like referees like i hated <laughs> everybody that would tell you what to do right and i would just fight against them all the time, and I can just remember going back and forth with the Lord. Like I can't believe it says that, and He's like, "Who's the Lord now?" <laughs> you know, and a couple, you know, a couple about twenty minutes in, and I'm like, "All right, Lord," I said, "I'm I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to have an attitude of submission to authority." And I can remember, like they, I always used to go to the hole during shakedowns because I couldn't stand that they were going through my stuff, and I'd be like start talking trash and they beat me up and and um and I remember I'd be laying on the floor with shack uh, with handcuffs behind my back while they're shaking down my cell and I would just be going um a fool gives full vent to his anger but a wise man keeps himself under control a fool gives full vent to his anger but a wise man keeps himself under control like in my head I'd just be repeating Proverbs 29, 11 over and over in my head cuz I was a hothead right yep um and then God just began to do an incredible work where he was just transforming my life and uh one thing that really stands out from the Pueblo County Jail is I had been reading through John chapter 15 and I'm praying like at the time I thought that bearing fruit meant bringing other people to the Lord and while it includes that you know that's not all it is but at the time that's what I thought it meant so I remember praying and I'm like Lord how come if I'm yours now like when you're six months in you think you're like been doing it forever you know what I mean and um you don't really understand that God operates on a much different timetable than we do, especially like a drug addict who's used to like, okay, Lord, you know, um, I'm saved now. So everything's cool. And God's like, no. And so I just remember, um, I'm like, Lord, how come I haven't borne any fruit for you if I'm abiding in the vine like I am. And that afternoon, a Muslim knocks on my cell door and he's like, Hey bro, I noticed you've been reading the Bible all the time. What's that about? so I just began to talk to him about the Lord and he, I prayed the, you know, prayer with him. I, who knows what I told that guy, poor guy. And then, uh, and he, he claimed to get saved. Right. And then the next day they moved him out. And so I never saw him or heard from him again, but it was like the Lord was just being gracious to me in that moment. Right. And the whole time I thought that the Lord was going to free me from my sentence, like I didn't think I was going to go to prison for a long time. I, and so I kept, like, putting it off, like, trying to get a different plea bargain and stuff like that because I was sure that now that I'm saved, God doesn't want me to go to prison, you know? Yeah. And I, my lawyer was Joe Concilia, and I can remember I was sitting there with Joe, and he's like, so they offered you the 10 to 16. And I'm like, nah, so, you know, tell him we'll double the sentence enhancer. And so we'll make it four to 32. I'm thinking, give the judge some room to give me less. Right. And I never forget. I'm sitting in that room with Joe and Joe's like, you don't need to be worried about the bottom number. You need to be worried about the top number. And like, right then it clicked in my head. Like I'm going to prison for a long time. Like, yeah. And so I told Joe, okay, I'll take the plea bargain. And then I went back to my cell and I was just like, Lord, like it, you know, shocked my sensibilities. I was like, why do I need to go to prison for a decade, you know, when you've done this in my life? And I kind of went back and forth for like three days, man. It was tough. Right. And the Lord was like, you know, obviously he didn't speak out loud, but he just impressed it upon my heart. He's like, I thought you said, I'm the Lord of your life now that you're going to start doing things my way. And you're going to trust that I know what's best. And so I was like, all right, Lord, you're in charge of this thing. And I ended up getting, initially I got 12 years. Um, but I was leading Bible studies at this point. Like I shudder now to think about some of the things I must've taught, but I was like leading Bible studies. I'm like praying with guys like God's just doing a, a, he's just using me already. Right. And, um, And, uh, so people start like writing letters to my parents saying like, Hey, this guy is a blessing to us. And, um, and so a year into my prison sentence, they bring me back and they, um, and they reduce my sentence by two years. And so then I had 10 year sentence, um, and I went to Crowley like I, I started, you know, I started to go to prison out here. It's a lot different out here um, or I was a lot different. It's hard to tell. And um, God just began to use me mightily in prison. I was almost like a prison pastor for those years um, because, you know, there isn't a church per se. You can attend yeah. church, but And so God would just kind of use me in a, in a mighty way. And I kind of had a Joseph experience, to be honest. Like I ended up with a with a. Um, with like my own office and like I made like $9 a day, which is like a hundred thousand dollars a year in prison. And, um, I had like, t- I got tips and I worked in a, in a store, the prison store that like, I was the only guy that could be in there because people from the streets would come in. And, um, but anyway, six years in, uh, to my sense, it's like, you know, I could sit here for days and talk to you about all the things that God did while I was in prison. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, a couple things is that six years in, I had never gotten a write-up, which if you knew me, <laughs> like that's wow. a miracle. And like, I'd never gotten a write-up. I got all kinds of accolades because God is true to his word. And when I decided that day that I was going to submit myself to the authorities, I received praise from the same. By the time I went out for parole, I had letters and letters from staff members. And for the record, I was not a rat. So it's not like I was you know, telling on people like, yeah. Um just you were I, just doing the right thing. I was just thing. doing the right thing. Yeah. And I had letters you were doing your time. And I have these letters from people that from staff like yeah. high up staff members that were like Shinnaniah has changed his life and it's like unheard of,
0: man. Right. And that's what God does. So what, one of the things that really grabs me through all of this is like your early years in prison like your your heart was hard and you were far from accepting God, but God was with you. He was keeping you from, and this is one of the things that I just want the listeners to really grab a hold sure. of this. Cause in a lot of ways, I think that, that happened in my story too, and in my life. Um, you were hardened, you were far from him, yet he was with you. Sure. He was keeping you from really going too far away. But then, Yes, you're still in that bad situation, but once you opened your heart to him and your heart softened and now you gave your life to him, now he really, he was He never left you. He, you know, the Bible tells us he'll never leave you nor forsake you, and he didn't. No, he never did. He never did. He was always with you, but when you truly accepted him and died to yourself, he was able to work all these miracles. Yeah, he, I mean,
1: incredible. Thing. he literally, I was born again. Yeah, I was a totally a new person and even though you know, in the county jail that day, my life didn't completely change overnight, but my heart and my direction did, you know. Right. And so then I had to start the long journey process of and I'm still on that journey, but um but it was like now I can look back and see that God was with me. Like I literally died from overdoses three times. You know, one time wasn't even a heroin overdose it was i had been shooting coke for so many days straight that i went my body went into like diabetic shock or something because i wasn't eating or drinking and like i just fell out right and they brought me back you know and it's like um and i've been shot at and you know and i've been in some extremely dangerous like car chases and they like you know i've had almost all of my friends from that period like my closest friends are dead or in prison forever, you know. um So, like, I know, like, I they won't even give me. Like, I tried to get um term life insurance the other day because I'm just trying to be responsible. And I'm like, my family and Dave Ramsey's always saying, you know, you need term life insurance. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is. So I call the people and I'm trying to get term life insurance, and they're like, uh no, yeah.
0: <laughs> they wouldn't give it to me either. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I tried two years ago, and they're like, nope. And I'm literally
1: like the most boring person, like. I don't do anything. I was just thinking, well, you lose out on the money, but yeah. it's just, it's just funny. Like, um, um, the the numbers, I they have no reason to be here. It's only, you know, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He's done and His Word and, yeah. um, and so, uh, six years in, I go up for parole. They say it was going to be hard. It wasn't. I had done all the hard work. I read all the books. I'd done, you know, I'd worked on my mental, my spiritual, my physical, you know, my relationships. Um, And I went up and they gave me parole. Um, I got a letter saying you're going to be out January 6th of 2013. Um, And uh, I got the paperwork and everything and I was going to leave. Now, when you first go up for parole, they give it, you go up for parole three months before you actually make parole because they know that it's going to take time before they have a lot of stuff they have to do before you actually get released. Well, I don't know if you remember, but at that time the director of prisons had gotten shot by a pro and killed. Right. And it was a really crazy time for, for guys that were in prison. Well, they started to, what they started to do was review everybody's charges before they let them out because of that. So, a week after I got parole, I call my family. Everybody's so excited. My life has been changing. Everybody's been waiting for me to get out, call, you know, everybody. Okay, he's coming out. And uh, a week later, they call me, and they're like, Woodall, 145, 146, report to the case manager's office. And so I think I'm, like, going to sign some more paperwork, you know. And they're like, um, well, we, uh, Time Comp, reviewed your case and realized that we made a mistake in computing your time. And so we're going to not only take back your parole, but we're going to add 22 months to your sentence. Mm -hmm. And that was a tough, like, I'm like, Lord, you know, testing you. Yeah. I'm like, what? And by this time I had a bunch of people that, and I can remember I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to do anything. Three days. Like I was super depressed. I'm trying to deal with it. And I knew that if I didn't go to church, the God that other guys wouldn't go because you know i was a leader at that time like if you ever saw my cell in bible studies like we'd be teaching these bible studies like all these gangsters in there and they knew like you could come in but you could be a Sereno, norteño, blood a crib whatever but you couldn't um no flags in my cell like it's bible study and yep. so we would literally have like all these, it would, I wish I could have had pictures or something. Cause it'd look, be cool to look back on where God was just like, you know, like crip leader, like Soreno, you know, Norteño. And it'd be less, like, they, these dudes would never be in the same room unless they were fighting, you know? Yeah. And they're here. They were like hearing the word of God and everything. So anyway, I go to church and they were playing that song. Um, blessed be your name. I don't know If you're familiar, yep. but it's like when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name, you know? And, um, and so I just began to worship God and I just kind of got through that season. Um, and at the time I thought that the reason why he extended my time was because of this girl. I had met this girl through a friend, like writing, you know, and, um, I felt mad, like I'd never been in real relationships, you know what I mean? And I fell head over heels for this girl and she would come visit me every weekend. And I just thought like she was God's like it was through miraculous circumstances that she was even allowed to visit me. Um, but to make a long story short, two weeks before I got out, she split, she stopped answering the phone. Like I had no, I'm like, what? And I just believed that God had led me in. Cause the whole time I'm like, Lord, if this is the way you want me to go, I'll go in this way. Like, let me know if I'm not supposed to be talking to this girl, you know? Um, and i just felt like god led me into this huge heartbreak and i just started the the enemy and just started to kind of chip away at god knows what he's doing god god's good god's leading you you know uh, and i know now that really what god was doing was he was teaching me that he's not interested in my strength mm-hmm. he really isn't like he, he's not, he, he doesn't say, okay, I'm going to bring you into the kingdom of God and then I'm going to make you really strong so that you can take the world by storm. Like it really isn't that. Yeah. It's really, I know we're probably
0: running. No, you're of. good, brother. We're, um, we're good.
1: But it's really what he's after is s- reliance on him. Yeah. You
0: know, Second, for, Second Corinthians
1: twelve nine yeah, right? Exactly. Um, uh, it's like for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know that, yeah. um, my, his power is made perfect in perfect weakness. And my weakness. Yeah, and I didn't get that. I was still kind of on the whole, and I yeah. was physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually strong, and I was getting ready to get out. And I was just like, "Oh, I'm going to take the world yeah. by storm." So had,
0: it was almost like he was testing you through that. Like he wanted to see how you're going to react to that in a way, right? I don't
1: think so. I you think know? that he was pruning me. Okay. I think that I had begun I would borne a lot of fruit, and now I was like pretty convinced in my own mind that I knew you know, I, I know I, he's given me a great gift for the scriptures. Like, like I could literally, I can't do it now, but I could literally quote Romans chapter six through eight verbatim nice. from memory. Like yeah. it was like, I'm I had, so bad at that stuff. Yeah. Well, and it's a <laughs> gift. Like I know now that it's a gift yeah. at that time. I just thought that's what Christians should do. But now yeah. I'm like, no, God's given me that for a reason, you know, but, yep. but like the, the scriptures just sticks in my head. Right. Um, I think it really comes from hip hop and I know that sounds kind of crazy, but like growing up, I was always trying to memorize all the words of the lyrics of the songs. And so, and so I would, you know,
0: it's funny you say that. So maybe we need to, maybe we if there's not already one, maybe we should create the out, the, an album that's the Bible wrapped. And maybe we can reach the next generation and they'll just memorize the Bible.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think just wrap scripture. I think, I think that would be
0: honestly, I think there's like I'm, some, I'm not, joking. I, yeah, no, <laughs> like, I'm not either. Like, like I think there would be some songs that would be dope. Like this, you, this you. could be the whole thing here. <laughs> like literally the, yeah. And now, so as we come into, to the now, right. So well, tell us more, finish that story. So yeah, you Come out.
1: Um, so
0: I get out and how much longer did you actually spend in? Cause they gave you 22, 22 months. more months. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I spent 22 more months and then as soon as I could, I, so 22 months, except the last six months of that 22 months, I was in the halfway house here. Okay. I went up because I, I went up for. It's hard to condense like years and years into a couple of seconds, but I'm just gonna try to do that. So, um, I went up for community corrections, and I got that, and so I got out, um, and I went to the halfway house, and I was in the halfway house for six months, and then I totally got out on parole after that, and so, um, the actual day that I walked out of the halfway house. For good was September um September first of two thousand and fifteen. Nice. So that was like now I'd already been a Christian at that point by seven year for seven years, you know yeah. what I mean? Um and walking with the Lord. But I was just the world was gray for me because I loved this girl. And I didn't so you it's kinda like all of a sudden I'm sixteen or something because okay. I have no experience for this stuff like all my other relationships were about me all my other relationships were like gangster and you know violence yeah. and stuff and so i i didn't get to like do what some normal people do where they like go through this stuff in high school and they like date people and like you know yeah. um and so this girl split two weeks before i got out and i was devastated like but i was in prison they don't really teach you to like share your emotional experiences (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's so like i'm not no you couldn't tell but every day when i go back to the halfway house like i was just so sad you know heartbroken and if you've ever experienced that kind of pain like you know there's nothing like it like it's just deadly stuff yeah and i couldn't really get over it and i just was i'd pray and i'd be like lord i'm trying to trust you through this you know and i'm just suffering inside and everybody else around me is super excited because now, you know, the one who was, you know, the, the worst of the worst that God has transformed is now out. Yeah. And I made another mistake and I, um, I agreed to, so during my baptism service, I got a pass to get baptized because I hadn't gotten baptized yet. And I got a pass to get baptized and during my baptizes baptism service, I sang a song And the pastor of that church heard me sing the song and sent the video to their worship leader. Well, the worship leader contacted me right away and she was like, when you get out of the halfway house, we want you to be on the worship team. And so the weekend, literally the weekend that I get out of the halfway house, after seven and a half years incarcerated, after 13 something years in prison and streets and stuff like that, I'm singing in front of a large church
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was not, I shouldn't have done that. Like I You're wasn't ready. ready for that. I had no idea. Like I had no idea what the church is. Like at that time I thought the church was where the good people go. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm in prison. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm thinking.
0: Whatever, all the, reminder to all the listeners, whatever you go looking for in church, you will find. Yeah. Any bit of it.
1: Yeah. So I totally thought like, you know, all these are the good people. And um and I'm, you know, and so I felt and plus like even going through Walmart, you I don't think you guys can it's hard to really explain it unless you've been incarcerated for over five years, I'd say. It's like yeah. it's like the world is so different. And yeah. when I went in, they barely had Facebook. You know, like I had a um Nokia one of those like yeah yeah flip phone even yeah and like they had just come out with the first iphone and i didn't have it you know what i mean and so like and now i'm out and i can remember when I was in prison i'd see people that like guards and stuff and they'd be like staring at the phones all the time like looking at them and i'd be like what are they looking at in there like i'd be like there must be something you know really interesting in there but um so that's just to give you context of like what it was like for me yeah you know and um But I didn't realize it. I thought I was strong. I thought I was good. You know what I mean? Um, And so basically my life just began to fall apart, you know, and I just, all the hard work that I had done over the years um, just began to slowly chip away and chip away. And I kind of burned everything to the ground in a sense, Um, but it was different because like you said earlier, he will never leave you or nor forsake you. And he just taught me a very valuable lesson that it's not about me, you know, that he's not interested in what I bring to the table. He could care less. He's designed me specifically for the tasks that he has for me. And so I'm able to do them as long as I'm, you know, staying connected to the vine and things like that. But this story isn't about me. This story is about Jesus Christ who can transform lives and hearts and minds it's not about elevating my brand or my status it's about bringing renown to the name of Jesus Christ and bringing increase to his kingdom yep um but there's no better place to be than to be a servant of the most high god you know yeah. um and so now you know um my life's complete i laugh often I, i'll be laying in bed like you know there's a verse in the Bible that says he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than anything that we could ever ask or imagine. And he's done that. Like he, I lay there and I'm like, I got a wife and kids and dog and house and cars. And you know, and I'm just like (laughs) tripping sometimes. I'm like, I'm like, Lord, what are you? And then like at church, you know, I'm a deacon and, and stuff like that. And I know you trip too. Yeah. Yo,
0: dude, it's no idea we'd ever be here. I love that you say like, it, it's not about us, right. And it's not no. about the brands, but it, it's about Jesus and it's about his kingdom. And it's, it's bigger than any denomination of church that you could be yeah. or any of those things. It's so much bigger than that. And so important. And I, I love that, you know, that we, we always go back to, uh, you know, I doth, right. the, the, that's the word for testimony Hebrew, which means to do it again with the same power and authority. Yeah, that's right. And you sharing the story today can reach somebody so that God can do it all over again to somebody else. He's there with you, listeners. He's he's walking right beside you. He hasn't left you. Uh, maybe you know somebody who needs to hear this story because they're right where Shinnaniah was. Um, and share it with them. Push it out there. Do it. Push it. Talk about it. Because he hasn't left them. He hasn't left you. Uh, He's just waiting for you to soften that heart. He's waiting for you to open up and say, I need you. And he's going to be right there with you. So as we near kind of the end here, obviously, you're in a great place now. It sounds like you're uh, going to be moving to Texas. You got a new cool job with the Right Now Media. Yeah, Right Now Media. So, I mean, that's a great ordinance. If anybody doesn't know what that is, I encourage you to take a look. There's tons and tons of resources on Right Now Media. Devotionals, video series, um, Bible studies, kids' cartoons—like there's, there's so much great stuff on Right Now Media. It's an awesome, awesome resource. I'd encourage you to check that out. And as we, are, I want, I was asked one thing: What's one thing, one simple thing that you want the listeners to grab a hold of? What do you want to tell them?
1: So um, I think that, to some degree, in our culture, even in Christian circles, we have taught that. The gospel is you behaving well. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came and died so that you would be perfect before God, that you're perfectly righteous before God. And it's in his presence Because of that perfection that you have, that's not actually your perfection. Mm -hmm. It's the perfection of Jesus Christ that is imputed to you. Because of that, you have access to God. And so he's not sitting there. If you're a Christian, he's not sitting there waiting for you to behave yourself enough to enter his presence. What he's saying is, I've already bought perfection for you. Come, Because it's in his presence that there's fullness of joy. It's in his presence that there's life evermore. It's in his presence that you became you begin to receive the transforming power to overcome those things that 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 destroy you. And so I would just say um, that don't believe that this is about your behavior. This you're saved by works. They're just not your works. You're yeah. saved by Jesus's works that he did for you on the cross. And, uh, you know, you, your job is to repent, believe, and then come yep. just as you are.
0: Yep. No need to get dressed up. Relationship, not religion.
1: That's right. And and I think it's so key. Like we, we have this idea that, you know, well, if I went to church this week and, you know, and you're never going to be good enough that way. Nope. You know who you are we might think, you know, you're all crystal clear and cleaned up, but you know who you are. You know, the thoughts and the things that go through your mind and heart. The only place to take those things is into the presence of Jesus.
0: Take them to the foot of the cross. Right. right. So man, Jen and I, thank you. Awesome story. Maybe we'll recap this in a couple of years and, and uh, <laughs> see where we're at. See, see, see the other part of the darkness. I always say, right. So great, great story. So thankful to, to know you and to be able to have you here with us, man. And, uh, Man, we just, uh, we appreciate it. So listeners, share it, like it, follow it, send it, and uh, have a blessed day.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate, like, and follow our podcast page so you can be the first to see new episodes every Wednesday. If there's someone who came to mind during the podcast, please send this to them. People like you sharing the show really helps us to get God's message out to a wider audience. Visit FastLifeMinistries.com to give to our podcast and keep us running. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Have a great day.